if you will take the uh, small sheet this morning on the Holy Spirit, we're going to do something kind of like a Bible study. Uh, thank you. That's better. <clears throat> this is a study that I've done through the years with some of our students that I think has been helpful because a lot of people don't have a very good understanding about the Holy Spirit and uh, what happens, and especially when it comes to the baptism of the Spirit and that type of thing. <clears throat> so I want you to see that the Holy Spirit comes into your life when you become a Christian. Romans 8 9, For you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. And if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is not a Christian. He's not a believer. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're, you're not a Christian. So the very moment you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. Now, I wish I uh, had the ability to draw this up here for you, but to understand, if we could draw a triangle, and let's say at the top here's God, over at the left is this is the Son, and over to right is the Holy Spirit. Now, the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. But if you could write the word God in the center, and God is the Son, and God is the Spirit, and God is, I mean, God is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all God. But God is not the Son, and uh, I mean the Father's not the Son, the Holy Spirit is not the Son, so they're all separate. God is one, there's one God, but He is expressed in three personalities, okay? You understand that? When Jesus left, the, he told the disciples, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to ask the Father, and he will send you the Holy Spirit who will be with you, and he will indwell you, and he'll be with you forever. And so you always have God the Holy Spirit with you. He comes in when you become a Christian. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says we were... For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Now, there are some people that talk about being baptized in the Spirit. The little Greek word ice can be translated either in or by. And a better translation is by. You are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. It's not that you're baptized in the Spirit. And so sometimes the charismatics and others will tell you, well, have you been baptized in the Spirit? Well, that's not even a correct biblical term. Uh, you're baptized by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes you when you become a Christian and baptizes you or places you into the body of Christ. Okay, you understand that? <clears throat> so you're baptized by the Spirit, not in the Spirit. But a better translation is you're baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. And so God places us in his body 
when we become a Christian. <clears throat> and you see this in 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received, that is past tense, we've already received the Spirit which is of God. So when <clears throat> we become a Christian, we receive the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3, 2 and 3, Paul's writing, he said, <clears throat> I just want to ask this of you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by, by believing, by faith? And, and he said, are you so foolish having begun by faith? Are you now made perfect by the works of the law? No, we receive the Holy Spirit the moment we become a Christian. You didn't get the Holy Spirit by your works, but you got the Holy Spirit when you became a Christian, okay? So he dwells in us and will never leave us. In John 14, 16, and 17, he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter. The, the disciples were very concerned when Jesus was leaving. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan, he said. I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another comforter. Now, there are two words in the Greek for another. Like I could say to you, I am going to buy another car. I could mean another Chevrolet Equinox like I have, okay? Or I could mean just another means of transportation. You don't know when I say I'm going to buy another car. Now, the word another, uh, <clears throat> the word that Jesus used when he said, I'm going to send you another comforter, he means, he uses a word which means another like I am, another of the same substance. In other words, I am going to send you God, another form or personality of God. And so we have God with us. And Jesus had promised that when he comes, he's going to be with you. And not only will he, he will be in you, and he's going to be with you forever. Now, in the Old Testament, we won't take time to go through all this because I also want to touch on the other sheet that you've been given. Uh, in the Old Testament, you see the Spirit of God coming up on people. Like 1 Samuel 10.10, 10, the Spirit came up on Saul mightily. 1 Samuel 18.12, uh, then it says, but the Spirit of God left Saul, so he would come upon him. First Corinthians, First uh, Samuel 18, 24, uh, Saul said, God has departed from me. So the Holy Spirit would come upon people to do certain things, but then he would leave. He didn't indwell them permanently like the Holy Spirit does us. Now, that ought to give you a great sense of all your life, all of the time, God is with you. You will never, ever be in a situation in which God is not very present with you all the time. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, in Judges, you well, you remember the story of Samson, how after his head was, was shaved, uh, he said he went out, he thought he'd have the strength that he always had, and he did not know that the Spirit of God had left him. So in the Old Testament, he'd come upon people, but he would leave him. Now, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit indwells every believer, okay? But that does not mean that every believer really lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
in Ephesians 5.18, and we want to do a little intense look at this in the original language just to understand it better. In Ephesians 5.18, and I used to think this is the strangest verse. I memorized it years ago. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And I thought those two things are about as opposite as you can be. Don't be drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, it's the same idea. I remember when I was a boy one day, uh, we were downtown, and this man was staggering down the street. And my dad said, he's just full of liquor. Now, if you'd cut him open, he wasn't full of liquor, but what do you mean he was full of liquor? Well, liquor was controlling him. He couldn't walk straight because he was drunk. That's the same idea, and I think that's why the Holy Spirit, God, put those in that same verse together. Don't be drunk with wine. In other words, don't be under the control of alcohol, but be under the control of the Spirit. And so that is a command. And in the Greek language, that's imperative, which means it's a command. God commands you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. All right? If you're not... If we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, we're not being obedient to God. He told us, I'm commanding you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. All right? Every Christian is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, it's plural. It's not, you know, for the rare Christian. I mean, there's some people, and God will mightily use them, and they're to be filled with the Spirit. But I'm just an old, common, ordinary variety Christian. And so that's not for me. Well, it is for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk later about why do we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because when we are, see, when we're filled with the Spirit, we're trying to do what the Spirit of God and what God wants to do with our lives. Many times you find it in connection with witnessing. They prayed and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. It's not this to be filled with the Holy Spirit so you can just sit around and enjoy yourself. But that's to be con under the control of God as we go out to witness or to do whatever we're doing in ministry. And that's the idea. And so it's for every Christian. The Holy Spirit does the filling. It's a passive voice. I can't fill myself. In a passive voice, it means something, an active voice, is like, you know, like I hit the ball. That's active. But the ball was hit is passive because the ball didn't do the hitting. You know, the bat did the hitting. And so that's the idea. It's passive voice. God does the filling. I can't fill myself, but it's something that God does. So we, there's things that we do to allow him to do that. But it's not that you can fill yourself. It's something that God does. Now, if you want to look and flip it over, and, and it's a continuous action verb, which it, it means continually be, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's a continuous, continuous action. <clears throat> In other words, again and again and again, we're to be filled with the, with the Spirit. You're baptized by the Spirit one time. Now, there are those that think, well, <clears throat> you know, you need to be baptized with the Spirit. No, that happened once, 
And it only happens once, and that's when you become a Christian. You're baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. But you're filled many, many times. And you see that in the book of Acts. So-and-so stood, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he spoke. And Acts 4.29, they warned him, don't ever speak again in the name of Jesus. And they got aside, and they prayed and said, Lord, behold their threatenings. Grant unto us that with all boldness we may speak your word. And then they prayed, and it said two verses later, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But what were they praying for? They were praying for boldness to witness. They wanted to witness. Now, Lord, we want to witness to people. And so what happened? Then they were filled with the Holy Spirit because God, what, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to witness. So when we're praying to, to witness and we're praying for boldness, to witness, God wants that to happen, and God will control us in those situations and use us, okay? So, now, by the way, boldness is not brashness. It's just uninhibited speech. That's what boldness is. It doesn't mean that you have to be loud or brash, but to be bold in witness, it may be very gentle. It may be very calm. But you are speaking what God wants you to speak. You're, you're under his leadership at that time, and you're asking him to use you. So that's the idea, continually be being filled. Uh, we're leaky vessels, so we need to be filled again and again and again. Now, how does the Spirit, how can the Holy Spirit, how can he fill me with his Spirit? Well, one, one thing you need to recognize is his indwelling presence. And Paul said, what, know you not that the Spirit of God, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You see it in 1 Corinthians 3, 16. You see it in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. One place he's talking about here, we're meeting together as believers, and the Holy Spirit is in us, all of us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he's talking about specifically they, the individual. Don't you know? that the Holy Spirit dwells in you and you're not your own, you're bought with a price. So we no longer belong to ourselves. Once we become a Christian, we belong to Him and He fills us, He lives within us. So how, how, do, how do I live under the control of the Spirit? Well, one thing, you desire it. You know, Lord, I want to be filled. Jesus stood on that great day of the feast and said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And then he goes on to say, then out of him will flow rivers of living water. And so that thirst, Lord, I want, I want to be the man you want me to be. I want you to control my life. I want you to fill me. So that desire, that hunger for that, God, you live in me. I don't want it to be such that you cannot express yourself through me. So since you live in me, I want you to be able to do with me what you want to do. I desire that. So you desire the Holy Spirit to fill you. And then is there anything keeping that from happening? Is there sin in your life that you won't confess? Is there anything that, that, uh, that you're doing that would... Uh, hinder the Spirit of God working through you. Um, you know, the Bible teaches two things. In, in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it says you can grieve the Spirit. I know when my brother and I were 
growing up and sometimes we'd fight or do something and my mother says, you boys are just grieving me to death, you know, as we'd fight and do things she wasn't real proud of. And you boys are grieving me. And if you read the context, there are things that, that we do that are wrong and it grieves God. This morning, my quiet time part, it was in Psalm 78. And God was so grieved over Israel because he brought them out of uh, Egypt and was doing great things for them. And they kept, they lied to him. They, uh, the Bible even says they lied to him with their lips. They, they would have worship that really wasn't worship. And they followed idols and all these things. And he was so grieved with them. It, it hurt the heart of God. And that's the idea. There are things that you can do that grieve God. Guys, if you're playing around with pornography and stuff like that, that grieves him. God doesn't want that for you. And then there's the thing it, <clears throat> that you can quench the spirit. And that's kind of the idea. Here's a fire and you pour water on it. You know, if you want to quench that fire, you just pour water on it. And it's kind of the idea like one, as I, I think I mentioned one day, you're coming from class one day and you think I've got a little time I think I'll go read the Bible and you think no I don't, I don't read the Bible in the afternoon well that quenches the spirit because he's leading you to do something and then you you don't do it you know I, I had a great time with a on the flight from Dallas from Oklahoma City to Dallas I may have told some of you about it but they, it was going to be a rough flight so they had all the attendants to sit down because the wind was blowing and so right across from me is a little flip-down seat, and so there's a flight attendant there, a male, and I began to talk with him. We had a tremendous time. Uh, he was a believer. Uh, he had some real questions about things. We really helped him. Uh, gave him one of the little books. Uh, he, he specifically asked about the, the area of Calvinism because he's moving and her parents are kind of into that and he was wondering about that. So I talked with him about it and I said, hey, I got a little book. Oh, carry one of each one of them in my briefcase and say, hey, let me give you this. And then I began to talk with him about a quiet time and all that and how he could have a quiet time. So I gave him a little book on fellowship with God and got his name and, and all of that and uh, told him he's trying to find a church. And I said, well, at least check out the Baptist churches in South Carolina where he's moving and had a, just a tremendous time. But, you know, God planned that. It wasn't something that I'd done, but I think the God in me was just saying, engage this guy in conversation. Find out where he is. And he was amazed. You know, he thought, I mean, he just told me, he just couldn't believe that because of the very questions he had. And God puts me right, right there. And he just, he just went on about, ah, uh, you know, he, I said, yeah, this was a God, but yeah, this was a God. And so God, God leads us. See, God, God wants to do that in your life day by day. And uh, a lot of times, even things you don't think about. And I thought about that before that. I didn't remember praying that I'd get to set by a guy. Sometimes I do that. God, if there's anyone along a trip you want me to meet. But then I thought, a verse came to my mind, Isaiah 65, 24. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. I thought, well, God, even before I prayed, here you had answered. <clears throat> so it, it's, it's thrilling. It may, I tell you what, 
the Christian life is so thrilling. Now, I don't mean it's always fun. Sometimes there's uh, hard times and you don't feel good and you got tests and you didn't do too well on that one and you go through all kinds of things. But just the thrill to know that God is in you He's never going to leave you. You will never be alone. You'll never, ever face anything in life but what God is right there with you. And you know, God knows everything. We see the word in the Bible, foreknowledge, and God just uses that word to kind of let us know because he already knew that a long time ago. I mean, God is outside of time. Uh, he was before time. He created time. He sees everything. He knows everything is ever going to happen. Now, just because God knows that does not mean that, that he made something, everything happen. The foreknowledge of God is not always causal. Now, some of the people, you'll run into some people that they think the sovereignty of God, that means God controls everything and he's decided everything. Now, there's some things God has decided and it's not going to change. And you can pray all you want to and it won't change it. Uh, like when Jesus is going to return. Somebody said to him one time, to Jesus, well, when, when's all this going to happen? And Jesus said, I don't know. Only the Father knows. So there are certain things that God has determined. There are certain things under his sovereignty that I can make a decision and have an influence on. If you don't believe you can influence what God does, why would you pray? See, there are certain things that, that we can have an influence on what happens, and that doesn't, my ability to make choices doesn't override the sovereignty of God. I mean, that doesn't upset God that I can decide what to do about things, but under His sovereignty, He is determined. Some things are determined forever by him and will not change. And there are other things he says, hey, you can decide what happens. You can pray and you can do something. I remember not long ago, and I'd heard this story before, but I wanted to get it straight. And I was talking with Virgil Coffey. And he told us of a friend that Neil and I had meant a lot to our life. We never had much time with him, but he was a godly man, a man by the name of Gene Moore in Oklahoma City. And Gene was in the hospital one time, and Virgil went to see him. And he said, Virg, he said, I had a dream last night. And he said, I, I dreamed I died and went to heaven. And he said, he just began to weep. And he said, I was walking around. Jesus said, let me show you heaven. And we were walking along the streets of heaven, and there were these huge warehouses and I said, Jesus, what's in those warehouses? He said, those are answers to prayer that I had ready to send you, but you never ask. And said, so Gene just wept as he thought about that. See, there's some things that we have a control over in life. When I say you're under the control of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> it doesn't mean that he comes and dictates exactly everything you do. <clears throat> But it's a matter of yielding yourself to God. And as you go through life, there are things that you pray about. You have influence on what God does in the world. And we're partners. And the Bible teaches that. We're laborers together with God. It's not that God decided everything and put us down here and we're a bunch of little puppets. But he put us down here. We have a will. You can choose to pray or not to pray. 
You can choose to walk with God or not walk with God. You can choose to witness or not witness. And God allows you to have an influence on the world. We can make a difference in some things. And under the sovereignty of God, that's the way he's determined it. Okay? So, recognize his indwelling presence. We desire to be filled. We make sure that we're not grieving him or quenching him. The Lord's leading you to do something and you don't do it. You're quenching the spirit. And then be willing to forsake any sin in your life and yield your life to him as best you know how. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If you're clinging to sin in your life and you're going to do this regardless of what God says, don't expect an answer from God. Don't expect God to answer your prayers. Don't expect God to do great things with you. In Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, you see, uh, as Isaiah said, and then in Proverbs 28, 13, in Romans 6, 13, 19, we won't go through all of those. But just to see, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so we, we pray and we expect God to answer because as far as we know, Lord, there's nothing in my life, sin, that would keep you from doing what you want to do. God plainly tells us that it is His will for us to be filled with His Spirit, continually be being filled. So pray and ask God to do what He wants to do. He wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. So we desire it. He commanded it. And now we ask, 1 John 5, 14 and 15 said, if we ask anything according to His will, we know that He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, we know we have the petitions that we ask of Him. So God has said, you know, I want you to be filled. We, have a, we ought to have a hunger for that in our life. God, I really want you to control my life. I want you to use my life. And so therefore, we pray and ask God to fill us. And you do that many times. Lord, I'm going into this situation to witness. Or I'm going to be talking to my parents that are not believers. I'm going to be this. God, will you lead me? You don't always have to say the exact words, God, fill me or something like that, but it's just the idea of a yieldedness to the Lord that you want His will and you want Him to do what He wants to do. And so it's the idea of He wants you to be filled, you desire that, and when you ask something that's according to His will, He promised He would do it. So He then will fill you. And it's a daily walk. And someone explained it this way. It's like exhaling. When you sin, you confess it to God. And by the way, you do that all the time. You don't wait till that night. And then like one lady says, I just live through my day and at night I just bunch all my sins. No. When you realize you had a bad attitude, you confess it to God. When you did something that you know is not right, you confess it to God. And someone says, you know, 1 John 1, 9 is a Christian's bar of soap. That's the way you keep clean. See, you just confess it and God forgives you. He promised he would forgive you if you admit it. See, what confession is, what confession is, is means to agree with God. God, I had a bad attitude towards this. 
you said that's sin. I agree with you, that's sin. You don't have to beg him to forgive you. He said if you'd confess it, he would forgive you. So it's a, a matter of acknowledging your sin. So you want to be, you want to be sensitive. Ask God to help you to be sensitive when you're, when you do something wrong, you say something wrong. Now there's sometimes that God wants us to go back if we've offended someone and go back and correct it. But sometimes it's just a matter of an attitude or a thought. And one of the things I hope you'll <clears throat> try to learn in life is to turn your thoughts to prayers. Uh, you know, you think about a certain thing, pray about it. You know, when Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians 5:17, <clears throat> he said, pray without ceasing. Now, how do you pray without ceasing? I mean, here you're taking a physics test. You better be concentrating on that physics. That's okay to before say, God help me, but you better concentrate on that. So what did he mean when he said pray without ceasing? That Greek word for without ceasing is the same word they found on an old piece of papyrus uh, where a doctor was describing a patient's cough. Now, when I was a kid, most of the men smoked. And so all through the day, they go, <coughs> I mean, they bark like a seal. And so that's the idea. All, all along through the through the day, you pray. A certain thought comes to your mind, you pray. You think about a missionary, you pray. You see one of your friends, you pray. And so all through the day, and see, our minds ought to be like a compass. You can take a compass and, and you can shake it, and you know, you know how that needle will fluctuate, but if you set that compass down and let it get still, it points to north. And that's the way it ought to be with our mind. Sometimes our minds are very engaged in what we're doing. Sometimes even with that, we, we'll you know, take a moment to pray. But sometimes our minds are very engaged, but when our minds are free, they ought to turn back to the Lord and all through the day be praying. And see, as the Holy Spirit, God leads us in our life. That's what he wants to lead us to do, to fellowship with him. You know, there's a book... <clears throat> written way back in the 16th century or so about an old monk that lived in a monastery. And his name was Brother Lawrence. And uh, so he, he, his job was in the kitchen, kitchen washing pots and pans. But then they got to take an hour a day out to go to the chapel to pray. And he came to the point where he said, I don't need to go to the chapel and pray. I get... He had learned to pray and experience the presence of God. And he, the little book is entitled Practicing the Presence of God. And so he began to turn his thoughts to God, even when he's washing pots and pans. And there's sometimes there are a lot of things in life that are very mundane. You know, putting on your shoes doesn't take full mature mind of a college student. I mean, your mind's not real engaged. Can you pray when you're putting on your shoes? Can you pray when you're walking? You have to walk from your car to class or walk to class. Learn to pray during those times. The Holy Spirit lives in you. God, I want to do what you want me to do. There's so-and-so. I pray for them. Thoughts come to your mind. You're practicing the presence of God. He's already there 
but you're getting acquainted with him and he's leading you and you see that person and God wants you to pray for them and this thought comes to mind he wants you to pray for that and that the, the, a life filled with the spirit is an exciting life and so that's what you do you confess your sins when you do them when you realize you've done wrong God forgives you and again you yield yourself to the spirit of God okay so do you understand that I wanted to <clears throat> Now, let me explain the difference between spirituality and maturity. You can be very spiritual when you're very young in the Lord because spirituality has to, be, has to do with being rightly related to the Spirit. And there's some of you right here that are more spiritual than some people that are Christians that are 40 or 50 years older than you have been Christians all that time because they're not rightly related to the Spirit. They're not yielding to the Spirit. So you can be very spiritual when you're very young and God can do amazing things with you. No place in the Bible does it say you have to be 35 before God can use you. You know, some of the marvelous things I know that I saw when I was just first trying to walk with the Lord, and I've seen this from some young Christians, some amazing things because they're they're very spiritual, and they're rightly related to God, to the Spirit of God. Maturity takes years, okay? It takes years for you to really become mature because you have to learn lessons, and you've made mistakes, and that sort of thing. So <clears throat> you may not be real mature because maturity takes time. And there's different degrees of maturity. I know some young believers that are very, very mature for their age. But maturity takes time. But So there's that difference between spirituality and maturity. Okay, I want to... Uh, you have another handout. And uh, I can't do everything I'd like to do with you because I don't get to... How about five messages, okay? But I'm glad that I want I want to just touch on this with you. It's a twofold thing. Uh, how much more time do I well I'd left my deal. When are we three? I know, but when we spoke when am I supposed to be through? What time? Huh? Anytime. Now I'm I have twenty I really do? Okay, well good. <coughs> I want to talk to you about how to have an intimate walk with the Lord. The way to have fellowship with God is open to you by Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And you see this, 1 Peter 3.18. You see it in Matthew 27, 50 and 51. You can have those verses. We won't go over all of them. But Jesus Christ died on the cross and as a result of him dying for your sin and rising again and you're coming into you've come to know him and now the door is wide open for you to have fellowship with God you remember when Jesus died on the cross what happened to the veil in the temple there was a veil in the temple what happened it was it was rent from top to bottom wasn't it that thing was four inches thick I think or huge tent because that guarded going into the Holy of Holies. The priest could only go in there once a year 
into the Holy of Holies, right into the very presence of God. And when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was rent from top to bottom, signifying you can now go right into the very presence of God. Isn't that, isn't that tremendous? We don't have to have an intermediary. You don't need to pray to mother the, you know, Mary the mother of Jesus. I mean, if you do that, it's like praying to that wall. Uh, because Mary is dead, okay? She's in heaven, and she has nothing to do with your prayers. You don't need any intermediary. There is none. First Timothy 2, 4, and 5. There's only one intermediary intermediary between man and God, and that is Christ Jesus, okay? And so that's the way we go to God. So now, since that door is open for us to come into fellowship with God, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, we don't have a high priest that is not familiar with our temptations, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly or let us come with confidence into his presence. Okay? So now we can come right into the presence of God. And Hebrews says, do that. Go boldly. Come with confidence. So I can come into the confidence of God. I don't have to be timid and think, well, will God receive me? Well, God doesn't receive me on the basis of who I am and that what I've done the reason he receives me is because Jesus Christ says, hey, I opened the door so he could come in. And so now I'm welcomed by God because of what Jesus Christ did. Now, God desires our fellowship, not because of any need he has. You know, some people say, well, so-and-so died and, or, or, or God just needed them. God doesn't need anything. Are you aware of that? Uh, he doesn't. I mean, he has it all. Now, he wants our fellowship, but it's not because poor old God is lonely, okay? You know what you got to offer God that he needs? Absolutely nothing. And uh, so uh, I'm memorizing uh, one of my new verses is Job 46, 11. And in that, uh, like I say, it's a new verse. Uh, let me see if I can get started. In the latter part of it, he says, uh, oh, not, um, somebody got 46, 11, help me a little bit. Oh, man, Job 6, uh, 46, 11. Job ends at 46. Huh? Oh, six, sorry. Job, yeah, Job, he better have 46 chapters or I'm. <laughs> he doesn't, what, what, what did I say, Job? It's not Job, huh? 32. Let me look. Y'all be patient with an old man. <laughs> you know, it may take a while. I got too many of them here. But anyway, <laughs> he goes on to say, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Okay? I don't... Uh, what what can uh, you do you know, what can we do? God says, uh, you can't give me anything. I mean, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. And so God has it all. And we can come, but the reason we come to our fellowship with him is not because God has a need. 
because God does not have a need. But he loves us. And we see this again and again, Mark 3, 14. He ordained 12 that they should be with him, and then he would send them out to preach. Now, until they'd been with him, they didn't have anything to preach that would change anybody. He first wanted those disciples to be with him, to have fellowship with him, to know him, and then he would send them out into the battle for the souls of men. But first of all, he wanted their fellowship. And David writing to, uh, or said to his son Solomon, and you, Solomon, my son, know the God of thy fathers and serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every uh, imagination of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found of you, but if you forsake him, he will cast you all forever. Okay, here it is, Job 41, 11. Who has given to me that I should repay him? Who's given to God that he should repay him? Whatever's under the whole heaven is mine. I mean, he owns it all, okay? So he calls us into fellowship with him. 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The very first calling you have as a Christian is to come into fellowship with God. And that's what he wants with you, fellowship. And the principle is to fellowship with God. The methods we primarily use is a daily time in the quiet time. Now, one of the things that you really need to understand is you try to walk with God and disciple people. Remember, the why becomes before the how. The principle becomes before the method. If you just run at people with methods and they don't understand the principle or the why, they may do the methods when they're around you. But when they get away from you, they'll probably quit the methods because they don't have any convictions about the why. The why of the quiet time is to have fellowship with God. Now, one of the ways we have fellowship with God, we read the Bible, we pray, we study the Bible, that sort of thing, see? So I want, I want a person to come to some convictions about the why. I want you to come to conviction. I'm going to have a quiet time because I want to have fellowship with God. I want to have a quiet time, not just because they're doing it at, the, at USC in Christian Challenge. And while you're around people that do it, you do it. But when you graduate and leave, well, I don't do that anymore because I'm not around people who do the method. And if we don't help people to gain some convictions about why they're doing that, then a lot of people will drop the method. Okay? So and you want to understand that the methods are to be based upon the principles. Notice how important spending the time with the Father was with Jesus. Sometimes he rose early to pray, Mark 1.35. In the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out to a solitary place and there prayed. Sometimes he prayed late into the night or the early the next morning. We see that in Matthew 14, 23. He went up in the mountain to pray and continued all and, and went up to, in the mountain to pray. When the evening was coming, he went up in the mountain to pray. And then in the fourth watch of the night, he came walking on the waters between 3 and 6 a.m. So he had prayed late that night. At least on one occasion, we know he prayed all night in Luke 6, 12, the night before he chose the 12. And then in Luke 5.16, many times he would 
withdraw to pray. It said, and Jesus withdrew himself into a lonely place to pray. And it's a continuous action. It wasn't that he did it one time, but that was a kind of a habit of his life. He would sometime withdraw to pray. The disciples would wake up some morning, they look over and there's Jesus over there kneeling by that rock praying. And that's why they, they had a desire to pray. They came to him and they watched him after he prayed and said, Lord, will you teach us to pray? And so you see, Jesus sometimes prayed early in the morning. Sometimes he prayed late at night. One time we know at least he prayed all night. Then he'd pray during the day. And I think he's just trying to show us, when do you pray? Anytime you think about it, okay? Nobody prays too much. Somebody said, if you don't want to embarrass a man, don't ask him how much time he spends in prayer. And so one of the things I really challenge you to do is pray. You know, I, in our church, <clears throat> a few years ago, before the election, I said, you know, we can either pray before the election or gripe afterwards. And so let's pray before. Now, it still didn't turn out like I wanted it, but <clears throat> at least we didn't gripe as much later because we had talked to God a lot about it. And so I just decided I'm going to make a verse about prayer. I started thinking about verses I'd memorized and others about prayer. And so every morning in my quiet time, the first thing I do is I look at a verse on prayer. So I've got 30 of them. I thought, I want people every day just to have one verse on prayer they can look at with the other things they do. And then I got down here and I had to eliminate a bunch of verses because there are only 31 days in March, you know. And, and so there are only 31 I, I, I'm just amazed at the marvelous things God has promised if we'd pray. You know, I've been uh, working some time ago. I was memorizing Matthew 17, 20. And here's the situation. Jesus is coming down off the hill. Here's his disciples, and here's a demon-possessed boy. And the disciples can't do anything about it. And so they ask Jesus, well, why couldn't we cast him out? In Matthew 17, 20, and he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed and will say to this mountain, move from here to there, it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. And he healed the boy. Now, another time he, <clears throat> he was hungry and he goes over this fig bush to get something to eat. And there's nothing on it. So he curses it and it dies, just withers. You know what Jesus could have done? He could have said, figs appear. And he, but instead, he went away hungry to teach them a lesson. And they saw that fig tree wither, and man, they were amazed. Lord, how did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say is going to happen, and it will happen. And then in the next verse is Mark eleven twenty four, and it's amazing to me. And he says, And all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them. Not that you're going to receive them. Believe that you have received them, and it'll be granted to you. And you know, it, I tell you, every morning it just challenges me to look at a verse on prayer and see the marvelous. And Jesus is oftentimes, he's not just saying it for those disciples, but he's saying, and I say to you, you know, and I say to all of you, 
If you would ask, this would happen. Whoever, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, and not just those 12 guys there, but whoever would say to this mountain, move. Now, you know, there's some things I'm praying about that hasn't yet happened. And so one of the things I see that, that we learn in our quiet time, you know, God didn't always answer everything right at one time. One of the things you see that in Luke uh, verse, uh, chapter 11 and chapter 18, they both have the same teaching, and that is persistence. And Jesus tells a story in Luke 11 about, uh, he said, here's a, a woman and she comes to this judge. He's an unjust judge. He doesn't care what God thinks. He doesn't care what man thinks. But this little lady appears in the course and said, in his court says, you give me legal protection. And he doesn't care what God thinks or what she thinks. But she keeps coming. Every time he opens his court, there's that little lady. And pretty soon he said, I'm going to give her what she has. She is driving me nuts. Now, that's a loose translation, but that's, that's what he basically said. Now, it's not. Now, remember, a parable has one point. It's not that God's an unjust judge, but the idea of persistence. Why? Do we keep on praying? Keep on praying. And you know, one time when Jesus said to a group of his disciples, uh, you know, he, he, he was trying to get them to see the importance of prayer. He says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. You think, well, if he need, knows what I need before I ask him, why ask him? Jesus didn't use that as a cur encouragement not to pray, but as an encouragement to pray. And you see this again and again. You keep on praying. So there's certain things I pray about again and again and again I haven't seen yet. But someday, and Jesus even started out by saying, I'm going to tell your parable to this end that men are always to pray and not lose heart. And then he tells us a parable because he, he doesn't want us to miss a point. We pray and we continue to pray. And you know, one of the things that I, I've about come to the conclusion, when God doesn't answer prayer, it's like I pray. It's because he's got something better in mind. And so I've, I've come to peace with that. I will keep on praying, Lord, I believe this will honor you. As best I can see, I'd like to see this happen, so I'm going to pray about that. But God, if you don't do that, I know it's because you've got something better in, in mind. And, and many of you know of Martha more. And let me tell you a quick story. <clears throat> when Martha mother and before she and her mother and dad married she was a, a medical doctor and lived in Houston and so <clears throat> one day they announced in church they were going to have a witnessing they're going to have a retreat and it was going to be an emphasis on witnessing so she prayed Lord I pray that that speaker will be married because I want to learn how to witness, and I don't want to be sitting there while he's, if he's single, speaking and wondering if that's the one. So she goes to that retreat, and here comes Waylon, as single as he can be. And so he speaks, and he notices her, and she notices him, and over a period of time, they start dating and married, and you know, they've got two kids now, and one's a missionary, and the other's a pastor. And, and I just think God had fun that day. <laughs> and he probably said, you know, Gabriel, this girl wants to learn to witness. But you know what? I know something else she wants. She'd like to have a husband. So we're, we're going to answer that prayer 
about witnessing because as a result of living with him, she learned a whole lot more about witnessing than she would have at a weekend retreat, okay? So we're going to answer that. But why don't we just give her a husband? Wouldn't that be fun? And sometimes God does Ephesians 3.20, one of my favorite He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And you know, one of the things I just hope you'll learn from all this, you get to know your God. Fellowship with Him, it doesn't get any better than knowing the Lord. In Psalm 16, 11, in thy presence is fullness of joy. You want fullness of joy, you know where you're going to find that? In the presence of the Lord. In in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. At His right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And so <clears throat> you can read the rest of this, study it. It's just, I hope, will help you. But gang, now, while you're young, begin to build the Word of God into your life. You know, now let me ask you this. <clears throat> uh, Ian, you're, how old are you? 22. You're 22. Now, let's suppose that you and I decide to memorize a certain verse. We're going to memorize the same verse today. I'm going to memorize the same verse that Ian memorized. Now, what difference do you see in him memorizing the same verse that I memorize? What difference do you see? He probably has a longer lifespan. What do you say? He said he probably has a longer lifespan to put it application. That's right. He only has about almost 60 years longer to, the Holy Spirit can use that verse than I can. Now, let me tell you one other thing. It's going to be easier for him than it is me. I promise you that's true. Okay. But let me tell you what, what Scripture memory will do to you. And I've had many students, I won't say many, I've had a number of students to say this through the years. When I started memorizing verses, it helped me in many other areas. I found that even in school, I picked up things faster. The very fact that you work every day in Scripture memory will really help you in other areas. You'll pick up things faster. Now, you know, I'm 81, and I, I already know sometimes I'm having a harder time with names, and, you know, that's just part of becoming old. But you know what? At the end of old age, you know what there is? Jesus, and that's okay. <laughs> that is okay. And I find that some of my verses are slipping a little bit, but that's okay. I still work at it. And I wouldn't take anything in the world from I wouldn't take $10 million for the verses I'd memorize. I really wouldn't. Because what a joy just to turn out the light at night and lay on your bed and go over verses. Some of these verses... My wife says, you know, one of the problems is you got so many of them, you need to call some of them. So I think, yeah, I need to call some of them. So I get a stack of them, and I go for a walk, and I look at that verse, and I think, I don't know as I've ever used that verse, but man, that's a good verse. I hate to get rid of it. I have a hard time calling them. <laughs> Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. It's such a joy that, <clears throat> that we have because of the tremendous price that you paid. Jesus, you were with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Y'all had perfect fellowship from eternity past. And then you decided 
but my creation down there has rebelled. I'm a just God. And those people are going to go to hell unless I do something about it. So you sent your son, Jesus, and he willingly came. And he died and rose again. And then when we heard that message, the Holy Spirit came and convicted us and said, that's true, that's true. You need Jesus. And then we ask you to come into our life. And you did come in, and the Holy Spirit's been with us ever since. And fact is, even the Bible says God is in us, Jesus is in us, the Holy Spirit's in us. But we know the one that makes Jesus real to us of the same essence is the Holy Spirit who lives in us all the time. Father, we want to be under His control. We don't want to try to run our own lives. We want day by day to yield to Him and let Him do in our lives what He wants to do. Thank You that You didn't leave us as orphans. You didn't want us wandering around on this earth not knowing what to do. But You gave us Your Word and Your Spirit to guide us. And Father, You promised, I will be Your guide even unto death. And someday we'll be with you forever. So, Lord, would you take the people, all of us in this room, would you do what you want to do with each one of us and mightily use us for your glory, that many people would come to know the Lord, would bring great glory to him, and spend eternity with him. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.